Hello, mentors. Welcome to our podcast series, Mentorships in Education, brought to you by Just Education at JustEducationFirst.com. I am your host, Judy Epstein. I am very excited about the wide range of experts who have volunteered to give up their time and expertise. They will share their innovative ideas, their exciting perspectives, their rich resources, and their research with us. Please continue to delve into these topics on their websites and with your legal counsel, healthcare provider, and education professional. Our guests have information that will be relevant to mentors supporting struggling students, parents, teachers, administrators, legal support, and health professionals. We will address all levels of education with issues that affect academic performance. Our goal is to open discussions and introduce a variety of approaches to those searching for information in a free venue. So mentors, let me introduce our guest for today. Hello everybody. Mentors, I'm so happy to have you join us today, uh, both as new listeners and returning listeners. I'm doing a little something different in the next couple of podcasts. I've never done this before. And because our society right now is so fractured and our kids are so stressed, and I'm hearing from the kids over and over again about the anxiety that's related to what's going on in society right now, that I decided to refocus my topics a little bit and bring them a a little more current. There was a time when we respected each other and we could agree to disagree without name calling and threats. Our children hear all of this vitriol and they're so confused and their loyalties are challenged. A little eight-year-old boy the other day, well, about a month ago, and this is one of the reasons I'm doing this, that I was working with said to me, My mom and dad aren't talking to the parents of my best friend. They won't talk to him. When we go to the bus stop, they don't talk to each other. Can I still talk to my best friend? I mean, it just tore my heart out. It was so sad. I've invited a guest today who I know will help us put some of these things in perspective and as the issues that we're dealing with pertain to our kids, but not just our kids. It's the adults. It's the professionals. It permeates our educational systems and is pervasive in our communities. Many people may be familiar with Juan Lee. He's very present on LinkedIn, and I've asked him to join us today. Before I get into a conversation with him, I do want to tell you a little bit about him. For over 30 years, Juan has studied organized religion, seeking the common thread that unites us. But this isn't how his life began. He struggled in school. And even though he graduated, he didn't feel proud of himself. In fact, very much the opposite. He felt like a failure. In his words, he said he joined the military as a desperate attempt to make sense of his life and to save himself. But something wonderful happened in the military. He received multiple merits during the time he was there. 
including the Air Force Commendation Medal, the Air Force Achievement Medal, the Air Force Good Conduct Medal, the Air Force Outstanding Unit Award. He found new confidence in service, but could not separate himself from the disability that he realized that he had. His career after the military continued as a commissioned officer with the police. He was responsible for video recovery, and he's also trained other officers in this developing field. All of his duties related to safety and the documentation of the data that they brought in. Along the way, he developed a perspective of daily life and how we interact with each other. He has become a well-respected motivational speaker, author, and humanitarian. His baby is Project Humanity. It is a gargantuan task of spreading love in all we do. And this is what attracted me so much to Juan, because my mantra is always just be kind. Just be kind. And we all find it so hard to do that sometimes. I want him to be able to develop some of these aspects of his, uh, of his interests himself. But he's written a wonderful book called Love Made Simple. And we will talk more about that, but I do recommend it. It is a beautiful, almost a self-help book. I have looked at it. And, um, and it's almost a self-help book. And I was very impressed by the calmness that I felt after reading it and by the insight that he shared with all of us in this book. So Juan, thank you so much for giving me all the time. It's always a struggle these days to be able to get together. There's always some little something that comes up and I do thank you so much for still retaining your enthusiasm and for sticking with me. Maybe um, you would like to start talking a little bit about your background. Your, uh, I know you were raised by a single father, your struggles at school. I talked about how you weren't particularly proud of yourself for graduating. You shared with me some of the special classes you took. Talk a little bit about that so people can understand where you're coming from. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, my story is not uncommon, um, but it's my story. Um, and my experiences with um, education um, was very frustrating. And it, it manifested itself by me being tagged uh, a disciplinarian, you know, one that dis you had a problem with me being undisciplined. And it, it was basically frustration coming out any way that it could, because all the way through uh, my school, my academic experience, I had an undiagnosed learning disability. And it led me up to graduating after being put in special education for you know, probably the latter five years in my, of my education. Um, and I felt I was losing ground. I didn't feel like I was gaining any ground. I was losing it. And when I got to my graduation, I felt unprepared for, for life. I was trying to uh, find a way how I was going to survive. 
um, in a world that was moving ahead and I couldn't catch up. And, uh, or let's say this, I didn't, couldn't measure up unless more catch up. Um, and so it, it led to a, a very frustrating point in my life. I denied I was, I had hope. I had no hope at all. I had no identity. I had no, um, no confidence at what success would look like, or even if I could even attain anything that would possibly render me any type of, of fulfillment. Um, that had to be scary too. That had to be scary for you. I mean, absolutely standing and looking at the world, you've got the military, you, you know, you've got the school behind you and you're looking out at the world and on, um, you know, left, right, straight ahead. Where do you go? How do you. And that, and that was basically, that was basically it. It was like, I had no guidance. You know, I, my dad remarried and my mom died when I was six years old. He remarried when I, he was, when I, when I was nine. And, you know, so as it relates to what a stable home looked like, I, I, I had it. Um, it just didn't appear that I was going to be able to maintain it or, or um, build off of it. And so it was that kind of, yeah, it was fear. It was, a, I was really afraid. Um, I tell you, it was no guarantee that I was going to be able to make it through basic training. Um, and it, you know, that process of being fully vested into the military, it took me a year to be able to make it through the initial entry into the military. What, what, uh, how did you get past your fear of, and, and actually sign up for the military? That had to be a scary process in and of itself, you know, where you vacillated between should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, what, what prompted you to actually do that? I mean, there was a couple of things, but mostly the fear was not in going into the military. Okay. The fear was failure. The fear was not being able to um, stand on my own two feet, so to speak. Would the failure is is that ability to be able to be successful in life. Um, there was there was no fear in being in the military. Did you think the military was going to give you, provide you with some answers to some of your questions? Is that why you went in? Not really. Not really. Again, it was um, just some place to go. It was merely to survive okay you know i had no dreams no ambitions no desires no hopes no no idea of what the future would bring but something amazing happened while you were in the military absolutely all of those things that i just said i had no hope in became real can you be can you can you be more specific as to what it was you found in the military. Put it, wrap it up in a ball and give us like a, a sentence or two. What was it you found there that gave you direction? It was simply a system. It was simply recognizing 
that there was a system that would guarantee success if only I could plug into it. All I had to do is plug into it. Now, granted, that it sounds simple, but it took a lot of getting to know who I was. And the military played a, a big part in me finding myself. And then identifying what I had to offer. And then allowed me to take what I had to offer and plug it into that system that was guaranteed success. That success was based on not being compared to anyone, but just being my part, just operating in my part. And here's the thing. Everybody had their part that made that system work. And we were all compared to we, we were all equals as it relates to that system. It didn't matter where you came from, where you how you view things. We all have one thing in common. And that one thing in common was to protect the United States of America. And you said the military, um, the concept of military life is very much like public life. Absolutely. That Absolutely. Um, that system that was a den that I identified was to protect and preserve something that was greater than any one of us in the military. It was greater than any one of us, but we all had that one thing in common. And that was to protect and preserve humanity, I mean, the United States of America. In the same sense, there was a system that would do something that would, as I stepped outside of the military, there was still a system that was greater than me as an individual that led us to something that was greater than myself. And that was the protecting and preserving of humanity. We, we, we all have that also in common. And that is that we all occupy and, and, and understand that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. So the military was a, a, a based on a system and you understood your your uh, role as as a particular gear we'll say in the system unique and separate from every other part of the system but together you've you work together and it made the system work exactly how did being in public school and the idea of the system there work counter to your being successful And that's interesting. The system in public education, which I went to, well, actually, I was in public education. I was in private school, but all of them. You know, fitting in. We talk about the kids fitting in. Right. Basically, everybody was being compared to someone else or to the system mm -hmm. instead of being able to find their identity, their personal identity, their, that, that uniqueness that each one of us possess. And when we, we avoid that, we then begin to try to mold the children 
into the system instead of allowing the system to elaborate and to define and to develop that original or that uniqueness. Because it's that uniqueness that each of us has to find and to establish so that we can develop that uniqueness. And it's that that inability to find that uniqueness is what the system failed as it relates to me and many others, because the system is about comparing instead of finding that originality, that uniqueness that only each and every child has to offer. So if you, we're speaking now to parents, we're speaking to educators, we're speaking to mentors and other aspects of the support structure of working with kids. And if I I imagine what you're trying to say is um, to each of these people who are working with kids is that it's our responsibility to try and find what is unique about a child where they are struggling, why they are struggling in within the system and try and find a niche for them rather than trying to get them to fit into the whole. Kind of like kind of if, if a child is struggling and they're a square peg, we can't be shoving them into all these round holes. We need to find a, a square niche where they find a place of their own. I, I would imagine that, and, and, and still supporting the efforts of the teacher and the rest of the students in the class so that they can shine what they do well. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it seems uh, uh, as to be a big um, chore, um, but I think it's, it's the ability to be able to recognize what its, re- what its, in- its initial intent is for. You know, we've got to realize that we're developing originals, unique children, unique people. These are the yes. people that we're we are cultivating to move our humanity and our society ahead. And and there's so many different abilities and skills that are needed that are very they haven't even been identified yet. But that's what development does is it it brings those things uh, to the forefront. And so the things that, that what I struggled was is that I had no identity. I couldn't find my own my own identity. And that was what I saw as it relates to the system that I went through as it relates to the educational system is that it did not foster me finding my own identity. Hmm. Okay. And so. That was something that I needed to gain. I went into the military to be able to get that and find that my own identity. Now, when you left the military, um, I know that you had another uh, part of your life when you became a non-commissioned officer and you worked in uh, in video, uh, what is it, data? Video evidence. evidence. Video evidence. Video evidence, yes, mm-hmm. and storage. And you did that for how long? Uh, five years, but that was a combination of, of security and law enforcement. So I did that about 12 years. Wow. Okay. And did that help support you in your quest to find your identity? Did that, did that help to in any way validate what it was you were looking for? Did you? No, that was, that, that, that was, 
that was later on in my career. Okay. That was later on. Um, that right there basically just solidified the need for the, the ability for people to understand that there is a system. It was a part of the system right. of a bigger, you know, our society uses um, the law enforcement to enforce the laws of our society um, to manage and to maintain. So the thing that I, I can say from those that experience is that that we we have to recognize that there is a system in place in everything that we are accomplishing, everything that we are experiencing. To understand that system is what we have to try to accomplish. Understand it, find out where we fit, and then plug into it. Okay, so let's get down more into the meat of why you're here. Now that our listeners have a little bit of an understanding of where you came from and what you have walked through in order to get to where you are now, um, you've done a lot of research on religions. And while we seem to focus differences of religions lately, and that has definitely been a contentious part of our interaction in society lately, very divisive, religion has some common messages. All religions have some common messages. And I believe that one of the messages that you are are sharing is the role of love and how that permeates all religions without, you know, focusing on one religion or another. We all have love in our background. No matter how we were raised, love is. And if we are, even if we don't belong to a formal religion, we're raised spiritually. If we have a spiritual background, but we're raised to love nature. We're raised to love animals. We're raised to love little children. It's about love and caring and kindness. You make a distinction between saying I love you and acting as if you love me. And can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Because we all say I love you to our kids, but when you and I were talking, you said, yes, there's a difference between saying you love your child or telling a student, I love my class. But the person who's saying that needs to perform in a certain way in order to validate what they're saying is true. So can you spend a little time maybe defining love and talking a little bit about that? Well, the 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 perspective that I'm coming from, and and I and I guess we have to make sure that we understand, um, love is an an action word, and to be able to say it without demonstrating it, it doesn't give the fullness of it. And the thing about it is, is that this is where it really becomes to be very interesting because. And this is about a lot of the confusion behind it, because love basically demonstrates through actions your motivation. And I think a lot of times we understand love as being something positive. It doesn't necessarily have to be positive (laughs) because it demonstrates 
the motivation of a high intensity of how we feel towards something. That's what that love, that's that action that it demonstrates when we use the word love. And the reason that I bring that up is because we can love to do some bad things. <laughs> and 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 well, so that's that do a whole show on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but my point being is is that that's why the action is so important. That because the the thing that I mentioned when I speak of and I talk about it in my book, love made simple for humanity. That's my motivation. It's the love for humanity that I am. It's, it's the thing that's motivating me to be able to share what this love is. And that, see, now that, that means that it has to be positive. So my definition then comes out of that motivation. And that definition is that it's the ability to act on behalf of another. That's the definition of love is to act on behalf of another. So then someone else, the other should be able to recognize it through your actions, what that motivation is. So can you give me some examples about how a teacher might show that, how a parent might show that? Well, I think, I think in light of what our, our conversation was last time, it was, mm -hmm. it's being able to show a child, a student that not only what you say is what you, how they receive what it is that you say. And that's through your action. It's the ability to understand, to, to know that child in a way that they can recognize your motivation. And without, without them recognizing that motivation through action, it leaves them confused as it relates to the demonstration or how they can um, connect with you and what they feel your intentions are towards them. Because everybody as a child, as a, as a, as a teacher, you are engaging with, you know, if the class is 20 or 25 students, you, you've got 25 different personalities and they're not the same. And you've got to be able to, to present or to, and give them the impression that their perspective is as important as the next one as it relates to them engaging you in, in being able to receive what it is that you have for them. So a teacher in a classroom who is trying to teach a math class, who has a student in the classroom who is acting out, behaving improperly during the math lesson. And the teacher who says, I love you. I'd love to have you here, but you need to go to the principal's office because I can't teach with you here. From what you're saying, I would interpret that as the teacher saying, I love you, but not acting in a loving way. The child is not going to receive that as an, a, an example of love. However, if I was to say to that child who is acting out, come on up to the board. Help me write some stuff on the board. Uh, would you like to take some notes down to the office for me and help me? Um, that would be really helpful. And, and you and I can work on this math stuff together. I don't think you're in a good mood right now to do that. That would be more, I love you in a demonstrative way where the child is feeling 
this person really cares about me. Exactly. Was that, am I right in giving that kind of example? Exactly. Uh, A parent might also say, I love you. I really love you, but you can't go to the foot, but you can't stay out until 10 o'clock at night. The child might not be receiving that in that fashion as I love you. Everybody's getting to go and I have to stay home. You hate me. Why are you keeping me home? But the parent who says to the child, I understand that you want to go. I would, I understand that you might feel embarrassed about being the only one not going there. Let's talk about how maybe we can get you to the game. We'll be happy to bring you. Maybe dad can go sit on the other side so he's not sitting with you. Um, we're a little uncomfortable with you're going by yourself right now, but let's see if we can work it out. That's demonstrating I love you in a way that validates the child's feelings without um, imposing will. I, I re- recognize that sometimes the answer is just no. I mean, sometimes it is. But if we can find ways to validate the child's feelings and opinions, uh, I believe that demonstrates to them how to be kind and how to have empathy for someone else. And and, you're and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's it's the ability. The simple the simple thing for there is is that parents should take the opportunity to engage their child at that point. You you cannot just say no and just leave it at that. You've got to be able to engage them. See that moment is is if we allow that moment to pass. They're going to gather, they're going to give it its own a, a, um, a perspective, its own mm-hmm. understanding. And as parents, as teachers, as as um, caregivers, we can't allow that moment to, to go undefined in a way in which they get to put the narrative, determine the narrative. So. We've got to, if they asking a question or they're presenting themselves something that we feel that is ins- that is not uh, productive for them, we've got to give them alternatives. We've got to allow them to see what it is that we're uh, showing them. Now, granted, because you ultimately have that um, that authority, um, it's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to be. Um, ideal everybody's not going to be you know smiling and happy at the end of the day but you understand that why you're doing what you do just don't give them the opportunity to to paint the narrative um that would lend itself to be something other than them seeing that there's care connected to that decision i like that paint the narrative because in my example uh, where the child wants to go with his friends to the football game, you know, and stay till 10 or 11 o'clock. And the parent says, no, no way you're not doing that. Um, the narrative that the child may interpret from that is number one, he who has the power gets to make the rules. And number two, you say you love me, but you really don't care how I feel about anything. And so it doesn't really feel like love. Where the parent who says to the child, 
let's talk about this. Why do you need to go? How can we work this out? What would make you feel comfortable? I know you want to go, but I have some concerns. If there's any way we can work it out, if it's important to you, it's important to me, let's try and work it out. That tells the child what love looks like. And I'm going to use the word that you use to me. and You haven't used it yet, so I'm going to throw it back at you. You said to me, that love is sacrifice. And that, do you remember saying that to me? Absolutely. You said that to me. I wrote it down. Absolutely. And that is the parent saying, I'm willing to sacrifice maybe my evening in front of the TV or reading the book. If you want really, it's really important to you to go to this game. I'm willing to sacrifice and do what I need to do to make it work for you. If we can talk about how we can orchestrate this so I'm comfortable as well. And that's the teacher in the classroom who says to the child um, who can't do math, maybe maybe he has dyscalculia and, and every time they do math, he's um, acting out because it's too much of a challenge for him. Uh, and he goes to special class, but, but at that moment, you're teaching a math lesson and he's still in the room. Um, the teacher who sacrifices by saying, come on up to the board, help me write things on the board. You want to sit at my desk and sort these things out while I teach the math class. That's a sacrifice to the teacher because trying to do, you know, organize two different things at a time, but that is a message. That's your, what you were saying to me, that sacrifice, not just throwing the kid out of the classroom. That that's being able to give each and every child what they need at that moment. And that's why we have to understand where each child is. If if it means if it means um getting the child to want to sit where he can find something that he can engage um or she can engage that would allow him or her to be a, a part of the class in a way in which he can or she yeah, can. Maybe sit with another student, a friend of his, and do math together. That would be a great idea. Whatever it might be, but, th but to be able to understand what that child has, what that, that gift that child has. You know, it might be, like you said, he needs to be your assistant or she needs to be your assistant in class. And, and if it's nothing more than, okay, here's the question. Uh, Susie, I need you to um, do this, write this on the board. If, if that's, if that's where he is or she is, she can write it on the board, find out what her gifts or his gifts are, and then use them, use them to help and assist in the class to do what needs to be done. But you've got to find that level. Every child has ability, has a skill, has that uniqueness. It's the it's having the 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 skill and the wherewithal to get it out of them. And then in in many cases, like we're talking about here, it's how do you then infuse them into your class so that it it doesn't distract from the class, but also enhances the class at, at the same time. And I think that's a challenge. But I think as 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 guardians and as as, as teachers and parents. We've got to do the, the legwork. We've got to invest in those children to find out what those things are so that they won't be a distraction. 
So we're giving them good role models and teaching them that caring is about sacrificing. It's not just about words, about love. We're going to, I want to get into this more, but it, love isn't just about, oh, I love you. I love you. Love is about actually caring about somebody, about having empathy for someone's situation, about helping to create self-worth. That's what love is about, I believe. Everybody in, in, in what we're talking about, it's that ability to be confident in who you are and who who you are and what you have to offer. If we if if we don't gain that, no matter where we are in our lives, whether we're parents, we're children, where we if we don't we never get that about ourselves, we're going to be always trying to find it in something else. And you said to me, I never understood why I needed to be in school. Absolutely not. I didn't, I didn't, I had no, I did not know the value of learning. Because it hadn't connected to anything you were interested in or could do. Well, I, let's put it like this. They were, that was, that right there was a real thing that they were trying to do with me was to get it to connect to something. Okay. But unless you recognize the need for it to connect, Trying to connect it to something doesn't do any good. Okay. And so you, you've got to be able to identify or to show how the connection is necessary. How it, how it, how it, what it, what it does to facilitate something that is important because that was the whole thing. You know, I remember when I was growing up, you know, they were like, well, you like sports, right? Well, maybe you'll read Sports Illustrated. I was struggling with reading. It didn't matter what I was reading. <laughs> you know, just because I couldn't read uh, 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 Shakespeare didn't mean that I could read the Sports Illustrated. What sense did that make? The point of the matter is that why is this important? What is it about reading that's, make, that's important? Why do you need to know that this is important? Because until you get that, you know, because then you can begin to work on, I'll give you an example. Um, there was no audibles when I was growing up. You didn't have, you couldn't listen to a book. You know, that was, that was not the thing going on. Mm -hmm. See, my learning disability is, compre is, is about comprehension and it's about a memory deficiency. And if, when I listen to something, I can grasp it. But when I have to comprehend it, that's a that, that's where things get difficult. Okay. So if I could have listened to the book, I could have been engaged in the topic of the book. But because I could not, it didn't matter what the topic was. If I couldn't get it, I couldn't read it. I didn't know how to, it didn't matter what it was. So, so the point being is, is I had to then figure it out for myself that it was necessary to know what the topic was, to know what it, learning is about growing. And if you don't know the value in growing, everybody wants to do it when it comes easy. But what happens when it comes hard, when it's difficult? And you don't know what it takes 
and why it is important, you'll re- you'll 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 have a tendency to reject it or to 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 shy away from it. That was me. I was like trying to get as far away from academics as I possibly could, and that's why I joined the military. And you found out you had to do it anyway. Look, <laughs> I had to do it worse than any of the other brains. <laughs> Oh, but you found reasons for doing it there that you. Had. Oh, absolutely, because it was it was it allowed me to recognize what I what I learned, what had a place in the system. Right, right. So I want to get into your wonderful book, Love Made Simple. And before I do that, I just have to put this in context a little bit as to why I was interested in the book. I live in a development. And in our development, we have many, many, many homes. And it's a very mixed political community. So as you get to know people, you find out that sometimes they're very supportive of your political beliefs. And you find out that other people are diametrically opposed, passionate even about beliefs that you feel are political perspectives that um, you feel are crazy, maybe even, or inappropriate. And in our community, uh, we've been here now about 14 years or so, we've learned to get to know each other on an individual basis. We have children in common that, you know, that we know each other's families, their children, we know each other's grandchildren, we get together for holidays, we have sadness together, where we, where we support each other through difficult times. And we've come to the understanding that we can respectfully accept and disagree with someone's view on things without them losing their worth as a human being. In other words, we respectfully agree to disagree. And we have lost that ability in society as a whole. We scream at each other. We call each other names. We belittle people who don't agree with us. And my best girlfriend here in the community and I are miles apart politically. But our values about our family are the same. We have the same goals when it comes to being with our grandchildren. We are dedicated to our partners and maintaining a healthy environment in our families. We support each other through difficult times. It's this one little area that we don't agree, but we're still good people. And so your book attracted me when I started to read about it before I met you, because of this concept of humanity and trying to bring love back into humanity. And when I say love, I I talk about all the strings that are hanging from it, empathy and respect, caring and tolerance, all hang, for me anyway, from this umbrella of love. And so I want to be quiet a little bit because I would like you to speak to your aha moment of why you decided to write this book and how you feel it might have an impact 
on what our society is going through, our world is going through right now? I think it's uh, the book was, I finished the book in 2020. And um, it was almost as though um, it was destined for the time as this. <laughs> and it was something that I had been seeing. Um, and it's interesting because this is the manifestation of something that's been brewing for a long time. And, and just to make it clear, love is the only way that we're going to resolve this. It's the only way. There is no other way to fix this. But it, it takes a lot of being able to recognize that we've got to do some individual work on ourselves to get to the point where we can, where we can see clearly what we are all about. And that's when, in the process of writing the book, I really, it was about humanity. And, and humanity allows us to focus on what we have in common and not our differences. Yes, exactly. And see, when we focused on our, what we have in common, we put effort in and actions in and what we can do to agree versus putting that same energy and action in trying to define what it is that we don't agree on. And see, that takes intention. You have to be intentional to do that. We can't, we can't just say we want to, but then don't put any actions behind it that would indicate it. And so there are two things that we need to realize is that for us to be able to recognize that we need each other, that's a part of humanity. This system of love requires us to depend on each other. And so we need to recognize that with that, we've got to make the choice to engage that need. And right now, we're not having that, we don't have that desire, nor that understanding to want to come together because we don't see a need for one another. We don't value one another. And so we've got to be able to reach that point where say, before we can agree, we've got to at least value one another. We've got to see differences as valuable because if not valuable, I can discredit or dis, just give you no, no reason to talk to you. Right. Or Dis to engage discount you, discount you, discount you. Yes. yeah, they discount you, mm -hmm. and so that's what love does. Love allows us to bridge those differences because it focuses on those things that we have in common. And then once we have that unit that where we can see, I see value in you, then I can begin to accept those things that are different than mine, because now 
you're unique, I'm unique. I'm expecting to be to for you to give me that same type of value in the sense that I have something that you need as well as you having something that I need because we all are a part of humanity. And that's that big picture. See, humanity, you only get an opportunity to exist into humanity in the present. Humanity existed in the past and it's going to exist in the future, but we can only influence it in the present. We only get the opportunity to influence it in the present. And it's how we act to one another will dictate and determine our investment into the future. You mentioned to me the butterfly effect, and you said um, that um, the mentality of I can't win unless you lose is one of the most contentious uh, aspects of our struggle right now, and that the love or kindness that we show um, in the present is like a butterfly effect. We, We have no idea how far the ripples will extend. It has that ability to metamorphose. I mean, it changes in, in what it will do into the future. Because, you know, what appears today, you have no idea what it would look like in the future unless it's been that investment that's going to enhance. It, it, that's the type of investment that we want to be able to um to invest into humanity is something that's going to bring value into the future. That's the experience of love giving us um, access into the future through this investment, through this vehicle of, 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 of humanity that we're exercising each and every day. We're, we're, we're trying to connect to one another. That's what it's about. It's about a developing relationships bring value to humanity and that's the key right now it's trying to make connections with each other not pushing each other away and unfortunately i feel that that's sometimes the um the result of the divisiveness that we're seeing is that we are pushing away from people that we feel are a little different than we are in whatever respect Um, before we end this uh would you is there anything special that i have missed that you would like to say about your wonderful book love made simple that i would recommend um people look at uh read for um some direction i i as i say uh i have not read the whole thing but i have read excerpts from it i will sit down and read more of it but there is a calmness that comes over you while you are reading this and i would feel if anyone is struggling for some direction, especially emotionally, uh, they might find this to be a almost a self-help kind of book um, that they can use. I, I would say this. The book is for everyone, from teenagers to seniors. The book is broken down into stages of life. Mm-hmm. Um, teenagers, young adults, adults, and seniors. And it allows us to gain um, successes in each stage and allows us to understand that using love and the attitudes of love can give us fulfillment in each and every stage of our lives. And we're, we're connected. Each one of these stages are, are connected to one another. And as you're 
perceive, as you're growing up, um, we have to recognize that the seniors are as important um, to our growth as 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 what we're experiencing right now. With you know going through what we're going through, um, so um, the the book is really meant to give us a guide to a place of peace in each state of our lives, uh, making us have that sense of fulfillment or uh, of contentment uh, with 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 the desire of having our needs met at each stage in our lives. So um, it's it's a really a family book in the sense that you can pass it down and everybody can read it. I didn't realize that when I was looking at it, and I will have to go back and see what stage of life I was reading that I found so comfortable. I hope it wasn't the kid's stage. <laughs> no, no. So. In each, each chapter, I okay. break it down for each okay. age. All right. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize that. All right. Lon, thank you so much for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoy speaking to you. You have such wisdom. And um, I hope that the mentors who are listening have found some insight and will read the book, Love Made Simple. There are some tabs on the website that you can, on the podcast, that you can check out and get more information about Juan and where to find out more about him. I guess I want to be able to say that with all of the conflict we have right now, we are people. We are part of humanity. We are more, are the, the beliefs that we have right now, whether they're political beliefs or health choices, the way we raise our children, some of the nuances of the uh, and decisions that we make about how to raise our children. These are so fleeting in the overall perspective of humanity, as Juan says. And I hope that his words of wisdom will resonate with the listeners and give us pause. Take a breath. Be kind. You don't have to convince someone that you're right and they're wrong. It's not about being right and wrong. It's about listening. It's about being respectful to other people's choices. And this costs us nothing when we're respectful. Please take a breath. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope to see you with our next podcast. Thank you, mentors, for being with us today. If you found this podcast of value, please visit JustEducationFirst.com to subscribe to our blog and Mentorship and Education podcast so that you may continue the exploration with us. Our goal is to provide a free treasury of information for 